production. Hello, A Life of Greatness listeners. I wanted to let you know about my private Facebook group called Live Your Life Greatly. It's a space for our community of like-minded people to give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. Search Live Your Life Greatly in Facebook groups. You can also join me on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg for daily inspiration, videos and behind-the-scenes footage. Search Sarah Grimberg on Instagram. Laura Day has spent three decades helping individuals, organisations and companies use their innate intuitive abilities to create profound changes in their lives. Her work has helped demystify intuition and demonstrate its practical, verifiable uses in the fields of business, science, medicine and personal growth. Laura says when you survive your crisis, you teach us all how to survive it. This conversation is about endeavouring to connect with and express that which is truly meaningful, listening to the whispers of our intuition and how trauma can be the vehicle for immense growth. Even though energy and awareness is infinite, attention is not. So we make those choices and the more carefully you make those choices, the more effectively you make your life. In reality are the elements of magic. And people do anything to avoid reality because you know what? Being in your past, you can't do anything about it. And so, yup, that's a great place to be. Being in your future also, you can't do anything about it unless you do something in the place that's hardest to be, which is in the present right now. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too. Laura is the author of many best-selling books, including Practical Intuition and Welcome to Your Crisis. This conversation is soulful, honest, and overall a celebration of the human spirit. Laura is a force of nature, witty, intelligent, and has a huge heart. My hope is that this conversation inspires you to reevaluate your potential, find power in yourself, and limitless capabilities. Laura Day, you're a phenomenal psychic and best selling author. When did you realize that you were intuitive? Um, I really, there wasn't a a moment. Growing up, I was weird because I'll tell you what I get paid for now in third grade does not make you popular at the lunch table. Um, But in my early 20s, I saw a, a television show and I was a math and science nerd in a math and science school. And I saw a television show about extrasensory perception, about the mind's ability to travel in time and space and research that was being done by various universities. And I thought, well, doesn't everyone do this? You know, you're 21 years old. Do you think everyone is exactly like you are? So I called them up with the gutsiness of, you know, a 20-year-old. And I said, "Um, I'd like to come in. I can do what you're talking about. So I went in, and it's in the Forward of Practical Intuition, the first group that I worked with, I went in and I did 
kind of, I ran their mazes, I did their tests. And, um, and so I thought, wow, all of these doctors and professors are so interested, I must have something here. But I, it was really actually a wonderful moment for me. And I, I, I have a little thing that I post on Instagram every once in a while, which is your pathology can be your potential. So my ADHD, my weird inability to stay mindful in this moment in time and space actually became my living. You talk about time and space. Can you explain that to us? Well, one, I, I um, train people in what I call evidence-based intuition. So I differentiate it from kind of spiritually-based intuition, which is more about things that you believe but can't prove. Mm. I work and train people to do things you can prove. I train doctors to be better doctors. I train people to predict the future for finance and business and pharmaceutical. And, you know, it, 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 it's a little, um, it's less magical feeling than a lot of the intuition training, you know, the psychic skills. One of the things that I have discovered just from doing this work for over 40 years is that what your brain actually does when it's healthy is it keeps you in what we would consider this moment and in your own body so that you can enjoy and create a life. My brain doesn't do that very well, despite many decades of psychotherapy. Um, my brain can as easily jump 10 years in the future as it can be right here, right now in this interview with you. And I work actually very hard on mindfulness, on being in the moment. But my work is based on this disability I have, which is that my attention moves around. So if someone, um, my husband is not allowed to speak about the news because my attention goes there and I can really experience things that don't allow me to go to sleep at night. But then I also experience what will happen. Um, and of course, the interesting thing about prediction, which is my specialty, although intuition has many different abilities, which I'd love to speak about, but my specialty is prediction. So it is the uh, ability to go forward in time and with some accuracy, nothing's 100%, um, give verifiable data. Um, but it it is... Um, you know, it is, uh, it does keep you from the moment. Now, everybody's brain can do this. I do Instagram every morning, which I know for you all isn't your morning, but every New York morning, I go on before makeup with my cup of coffee in my pajamas. And <laughs> my teachers and students come on and I facilitate them doing readings for each other because it's really helpful to have somebody else look ahead. You are your own worst intuitive because you have your history, your beliefs. You don't see what you don't see. You see what you want to see. That None of that's intuition. Intuition is when someone who doesn't know you tags you and says, you started a business three months ago. It's hitting some stumbles right now, but I feel like it's going to come out sometime next late fall and it's going to be a total hit. 
that and and they're accurate about your past they don't know you and they're accurate about your future the problem with prediction is that you don't know until it happens yes. so it isn't a lot of fun in the moment. You know, no one says, oh, my goodness, you really see me. They say, no, you're crazy until it happens. I find predictions so fascinating, Laura. Can you tell us what it's like when you do do predictions for companies or when you've done them for people? How does it feel when your mind is going 10 years into the future or a year or six months or whatever it is? How does that work? Well, with um, I work with my companies. Um, they've I've trained them all. I've worked for the same companies for thirty years, so I've trained them all not to give me any information. So, so they'll say, um, "Will will this drug be approved by the FDA?" And I would, and my I just follow my attention as if my attention were you know a fly. I follow my attention and it lands on something. And then I notice what it lands on and I tell them. It's a very, it's not a magical feeling process at all. It's more like, you know, figuring out a math problem, except you don't have to think, you just have to follow the attention. Um, And that's what I do most of the time. Doing, you know, with my readers and students, and I often read on the Instagram, it's it's a much richer process because a person's life, Mm. you know, first, when you're reading a person, your attention goes to what's important to them. You know, oh, wow, what's important to them is they're really trying to, to grow their work in a new way. And then... You, you notice around them, oh, what are the obstacles? Wow, they, they, they started this wonderful project and then the support for it disappeared. And then it brings another question, wow, so they need more support for this project. How do they either get the original people to do what they said they do in the first place? Or, or, or how do they get out of that group and so literally it's your liter and it has nothing to do you're 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 actually it's not an empathic process you're not feeling the person at all the person's a target but people's people and their lives are rich how do they get in their own way what outside of them is getting in the way what in their history is getting in the way what's coming up that's going to blindside them or help them that they should be more aware of and your and your attention as an intuitive is going to all these different places. And what I train my students to do is to verbalize that or write it in the case of Instagram, verbalize all of it, even what they think is about them because it's not once they have a target and they're doing a reading. And so people, you get a very rich picture because people's lives, people are so rich and life is so complicated. We, we really underestimate how, you know, whether or not a product is going to do well in a market is much easier than how do I help this person be successful and healthy and happy in the process and not destroy their relationships while they're doing it and prepare for 30 years from now and process this thing that happened in their past that's holding them back. I mean, it's a very multi-layered thing. And so people are delicious. (laughs) Um, and 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 complicated um, business, much less so. There's usually a right or wrong answer, yes. and also with people, the sphere of influence 
is huge. So one of the things that I'm most known for is predicting the big market crash. And I forget what it was, 2008, 2009, whenever the market crashed. And I did that by accident on air because I try never to predict on air because what if I'm wrong and people follow me and then I'm responsible for them losing their pensions. But I did this by mistake. And um, and then, of course, the media picked it up when it happened because it was a great time in the market. It, nobody expected it. But that's easy because that's outside my sphere of influence. It just is. Whereas a person is inside the reader's sphere of influence. Mm. And there are lots of moving pieces. And so you can move one little piece and change their future. And I, I, you know, the thing that frustrates me so much about people going to psychics is they go to psychics, they listen to a prediction that may or may not be correct, and then they wait for it. Mm. No, you're creating your life now. The only reason to use prediction, telepathy, any of those intuitive processes is to decide what you want to create and who you want to become and use that information actively in this point in time space, in this moment, to do just that. So if it hasn't happened yet, this is the thing that I think you'll be able to explain well. How much of life... How much of life do you feel is fated and how much is choice? Because you know when some things happen in your life, you think, I feel like that was just supposed to happen. It was destined and doesn't matter what I have done, that may have been a thing that got me then onto the next path in my career or whatever it was. And then how much is you just going about and actually making the different choices in your life? So here this is opinion. And, you know, experience from doing this work for four decades. Um, And it's what my new book is about, actually, which has not been published yet. But, um, you know, I don't, fate as we understand it, I don't think it exists. I think you make a choice right now uh, and you change what you would call your fate, although it's very important to work with those inner patterns because we tend to repeat and Mm. repeat. We're held together by our patterns, but we're also limited by them. That said, it is my experience that we live in our synchronicities. We are what we live in. What we live in is what we are. And it is the dance with all of that, between all of that, that creates Life. Now, that doesn't mean that if you have an awful life, you're an awful person. What it means is that your software uh, functions in a certain way, and you need to change that software to allow new experiences in that you may not even have receptors for yet. So you need to allow your intuition, which often uh, takes place as you sleep when your conscious mind is down, to open those receptors to to introduce you to new pleasures and feelings and ways of being. Um, you know, I, I, I often get readers who say, I saw this movie star's poster 10 times today. That's a sign that we're going to get married. <laughs> and I'm like, the fact that you live in different countries, the person's married, has three kids, has no idea you exist, is not a sign, but the poster is a sign. Really, I think we live in a synchronous 
universe. And everything is, in a sense, causal. It's just we don't know what the action that causes it is. And part of what my work with both companies and people is, is to make them more aware, using intuition, but also observation, of how they can do something different and be in a different part, in a sense, of the matrix. Yes. Let's talk about that because I find that interesting. Do you believe in the idea, I suppose people call it like the law of cause and effect, which is a a scientific law. It's Newton's third law of physics. You know, when you bounce a ball, you know it's going to come back. I think living a good life is really the search for loopholes. Yeah. No, and so... If your laws, if the world's laws, if your beliefs are not working for you, change them. And how do you change them? You change them by repetitive experience. Everyone hates the D word, discipline. But, you know, I I will wake up and just maybe have had a bad dream and then something goes wrong. And I notice that I really don't like the color of the walls in my room that I thought I'd like so much. And then I, my pajamas that were so comfortable are now itch. And I say, oh, okay, I need a reset. And how do I do that? Well, I have things that have worked for me, but maybe I'll do something. I'll, I'll do something synchronistic. I'll open a book to a page like I'm doing now. Today's gift is effectiveness. That's the page I'm working. And actually, today was a rough day for me, but I was so effective for so many people. And I need to allow myself to take pleasure in that, even though in my many ways, this day was kind of a wash. Um, (laughs) So we we live, you know, cause cause and effect. there, There are laws. And all of those laws have loopholes. Mm. It's important to know the laws. I mean, I find the thing I hate about spirituality, so to speak, is a lot of it is fantasy. And I'm not saying unicorns don't exist somewhere, but if a unicorn isn't in your living room saddled up for you to ride to your happy adventure, look at what is available and use that to ride to your next good place. And I think that what happens a lot with spirituality is it encourages people to use the pretend to create disappointment. Mm. Whereas there is often, even in a famine country, there are fat children. Those children are intuitives. And what intuition is, is what is my purpose? What is my goal? What is my target? What is my question? Because you're getting intuition all the time. So you need to have, you know, a sieve to to only have what comes through be what's useful. I mean, look at your mind at any given point in a day. I'd say like 99.9% of that, not useful. And even though energy and awareness is infinite, attention is not. So we make those choices. And the more carefully you make those choices, the more effectively you make your life. In reality are the elements of magic. I love that. In reality are the building blocks of your miracle. And people do anything to avoid reality because you know what? Being in your past You can't do anything about it. And so, yep, that's a great place to be. Being in your future also, you can't do anything about it unless you do something in the place that's hardest to be, which is in the present right now. And from right now, I have experienced, because I don't really, I do have beliefs 
but I don't rely on them. I rely on experience. And I have experienced that people can create anything. And as I, I had said to you when we were chatting, I ruined my life so many times I can't tell you. And I have rebuilt it better. And believe me, just like all of you, every time I ruin my life, I think, okay, now you've really done it, Laura Day. Now you have really ruined your life. And from every moment where I have really ruined my life, I have found a better place, what I wanted, more authentic, um, you know, richer in every sense of the word. And that is the gift of intuition. You know, but intuition's sweaty work. It challenges you. Yes. It doesn't say, wait for the unicorn. Intuition says, oh, you want to have power in this market? You need to write a thousand words a day. Or mm, maybe you need to deal with that business partner who's not doing what they said that they would do. Or you're going to have a mess. You know, you can, sure, you can pray and breathe and send love and do all of that. But if you're not dealing with the reality, nothing's going to change. Great thing about intuition, though, it'll point you not only to the reality you need to deal with, which is often a, oh, shit, but will point you also to resources that you didn't know were there to be able to deal with it effectively. That's so true. I find that, yeah, in any of those times where I've needed something or someone or, you know, even deciding that you want to achieve something in life, the next minute, you're like, oh, I might not know anyone in that area. And then the next week, there's someone that comes up to you and they're like, oh, I'm an expert in X, Y, and Z. And it's kind of what you said. Once you've kind of written it down, you've made that decision to move forward or whatever it is, then everything starts to change. You find that when you have a problem, you have a solution. But that actually points to a very healthy inner being. Because what you see in most people is they and I count myself among them, is that they recreate the same problems over and over and often they don't get the solutions. And that is what um, the gift of intuition is, is when you learn to engage it, it does give you solutions, but guess what? You still have to follow through on them. Yes. So for example, one of my solutions in one of the things I am dealing with is to walk away. Now, there was this really cute Facebook, I think you call it a meme, yeah, that yeah. said everything I've ever let go of has claw marks in it. That resembles me. I am an absolute control freak. When people say you're controlling, I say, well, who better to be in control? So for me to get the intuition and backed up by data, by things I can prove, so I know it's not just a feeling, that I need to just let go of control of something oh my God, I cannot tell you that gives me such agita and hives and indigestion. So it requires me to do something and even to get new resources. I set up a therapy session. I want to work on, you know, no man or woman is an island and we all need each other. We all need resources, which is why I really am so um, my soapbox is building communities. Yes, you know because it 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 does you know things a, a a life. So what you're talking about says you're very healthy in this moment, and chances are as you grow, you'll meet challenges where 
the solution doesn't come as quickly. And that will mean that you are strong enough to grow that extra bit to acquire those new resources. Uh, That's not a prediction, so don't be scared. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about using your five senses when using your intuition. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yes, one of my favorite subjects. So people expect intuition to come down on wings and have a crystalline look about it. The reality is intuition, any information comes to you with the same five senses you experience life. So on Instagram every morning, even with novices, and by the way, I'm new to Instagram, so I'm totally enamored. Um, But um, one of the things I tell novices is even if you've never done a reading, tag somebody and just report everything you're sensing, including thoughts and memories, including what's in the room, just right without stopping. And what they find is after a while, they're telling a story. But intuition, people say, how do I know it's intuition? You don't. You train that skill over and over and over again by having a target reporting what your senses are perceiving, even complex mathematics comes through the senses. We are, that, that's all we have to get information with. So that waiting for something to appear as something other than taste, smell, feeling, sight, or hearing, it isn't, there are no other mechanisms by which we get information and we get intuitive information the same way. The neat thing is that we can move those senses in time and space. So you can be somebody else five years in the future and then sense their environment, look around, feel who's with them, you know, uh, see where they are. Like it's all, it is all sensory. But when we say feeling, we're not talking about senses and that's not intuitive. Feeling is emotion. Mm. Feeling is the reptilian sensory brain in a different way. So, oh, I didn't have a good feeling about this. That might be a starting place. But then what didn't look right? What didn't smell right? What didn't taste right? What didn't feel right? What didn't sound right? Where were you physically that was wrong, you know, in your mind's eye, so to speak? And, and so, you know, I, I always um, I always batter my students uh, because they like to magicalize things, you know, like they talk about manifestation. If I pour water in a cup and put it in a freezer, I've manifested an ice cube. Manifestation is just making something happen. Yeah. So we give things these words and we make them useless to us. We magicalize, whereas you as a human being are an alchemist. You, you can use a memory to describe a future event for somebody else who you've never met. In fact, we do that every morning. Um, we, you know, we, we expect things to have a magical quality. Really, life has a magical quality. Embracing someone in the moment, like I never waste a hug, even from a stranger. I never waste a hug. I take a moment instead of being on like the next person I'm going to greet to really experience someone's holding me. That's magic. Mm. Something you mentioned before, which I find fascinating is 
basically don't trust your feelings as far as intuition is concerned. And what I've found, and I think a lot of people would be able to relate, is you know when you're really emotionally attached to something? I mean, we all get emotionally attached to something. Could it be a partner or something we really want or whatever it is? And you're trying to use your intuition to kind of work out a circumstance that you're unsure about, but there's so much emotional charge that's going through it. It makes it really hard to kind of find that where, what you should do next or, or feel into that intuition. How can we help ourselves in times like that? There are a couple ways. I mean, one thing is mindfulness and mindfulness is another magical word. Mindfulness means just be in the moment now in your body and what's really around you and in what's really happening. Because a lot of what we do is we repress so much of what we are experiencing, our doubts, our fears, that, that the wisdom that's underneath them can't, can't get through. So you begin by being fully present just in what's going on. And in order, you know, we're taught that we're powerless and we're taught that from a very early age. But the reality is, if you look around, people who make choices are powerful. It's not always easy, but they are powerful. So in order to be in the moment, you also have to, in a sense, reassure yourself with memories of times that things were difficult and you prevailed. So the first thing is, if you're not in the moment, you can, you have no tools to use. Your tools, inner and outer, your contacts, your everything, are in this, this point in space-time, what one would call this moment. That's the first thing. The second thing is to, in a sense, be aware of your pathology to the degree you can. Nobody reads themselves well. Nobody, and, and I'm included in this because we have our hopes, we have our fears, we have our patterns, we repress what we repress. And that is why it's so helpful to have an intuitive community. Um, when I do trainings, for example, yeah, it's great that they learn to be intuitives. And if they want to be professionals, they I send them clients. But what's really great is they have 49 other people to say, I woke up this morning not wanting to sign this deal. Does anyone get anything? And someone who has no knowledge gives them a detailed answer. And it, it perspective is everything with intuition. Intuition, except for one element of intuition, intuition is a detached state. Mm. So I police work and they were terrified by me, not because I was so good. They were terrified. <laughs> I only did missing children. And a lot oh, wow. of those children were not in, you know, anyway, um, don't want to upset your listeners, but, and here I was, you know, a hundred pound, 22 year old in a little blue skirt and a white shirt with a Peter Pan collar. These were different times folks saying, Yes, uh, stabbed seven times, uh-huh, one at the throat, and just completely cold because intuition is a detached state. Luckily, most good intuitives have pretty severe neurological impairments. I have very severe ADHD, so I didn't remember much. But when I remembered it afterwards, if whatever I remembered, I would cry for hours. But in that moment, I wouldn't have been able to report 
if it hadn't been detached. Intuition is a detached state. There's one mm. element of intuition that is not, and that's mediumship, where you actually become the person or thing that you're getting information about. And then you do feel, sense, think, taste, just like them. Um, but the other states of intuition are very detached. Now, of course, it's hard to be detached about yourself. Yes. You know, and so um, often in your own life, intuition will come in left field and usually in an emergency. Like when I sold all my holdings before the crash, I just woke up and I thought, I don't want to be in the market anymore. Called my broker and said, sell everything. Um, you know, it comes in a, in, a, in a quick, urgent way. But also intuition, your, your subconscious represses what you can't do anything about. So if you're going to die in 10 seconds, you're not going to be intuitive about it because yeah. you can't do anything about it. So if you have an intuition that you're going to lose everyone you love, that is not an intuition. That is a therapy issue. <laughs> intuition would say, don't keep falling in love with um, those people who fly with those wings from mountain to mountain. Don't keep falling in love with race car drivers. And then you won't lose every, you know, your intuition would give you a solution. So, so uh, you know, a lot of people confuse their anxiety with intuition. And it's not because intuition doesn't give you anxiety. Intuition gives you, hey, you know, this person... Uh, is doing this, here's how to figure it out and why you need to see this right now. You know, intuition is actionable and accurate and it's not going to tell you something that's not actionable. Laura, do the police use intuitives a lot? Because I've heard sometimes yes and sometimes no, but sometimes it's, it's unspoken about. It's almost like they don't want to admit it. I don't know why. I think it's incredible. But Nobody wants to admit to using intuitives. I mean, I never get referrals from a company I work for. Now, I'm on their books as yeah. a consultant. You know, I'm tax deductible. I'm a, you know, consultant. But, but I never get referrals from a company I work for. And by the way, I now, there was one company I worked for who spoke publicly against my advice uh, about the work we had done together. And it wasn't good for the company because your job as an intuitive or any kind of a consultant is to make your clients seem the genius, you know, yeah, not, not, not you. And, um, and so now when I have a client, I exchange confidentiality agreements because I don't want them to speak about their work with me, nor if I'm ever subpoenaed, do I want to be able to speak about my work with them. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that um, it's there's a lot of research on intuition now, because unlike when I began um, in the early 80s as a professional intuitive, um, now you can see that the brain responds to a thought sent by somebody else at a distance who you've never met. Mm. Now you can see that the brain responds to a picture that a computer has not yet randomly generated. So we now have real physiological proof of this intuitive process that we all have. And as a matter of fact, 
one of the things that I do when I train intuitives is first I teach them how to be less intuitive because the mind's a messy place and you can't find your data if it's in a pile of other stuff that's irrelevant. So, you know, an easy one is telepathy. You know, think of, notice all of the conversations you're having in your head. All of you do this now. Notice all of the conversations you're having in your head. And now pick the useful ones. And the other ones, every time you go to them, bring yourself back to the useful ones. And with the useful ones, know why you're having the conversation and what's the response you want. So, in a sense, by um, creating a filter for intuition, people become more intuitive in ways they can apply effectively to their lives. I've heard you say, Laura, that purpose helps with pain. Can you talk to us a bit about that? There is a lot of research that shows that connection and purpose are more significant in longevity than exercise, weight loss, smoking habits. Our bodies are chemical factories. And when you are signaling to your body that there is no reason to be here, your body makes chemicals that don't help your organs function effectively. When you have a purpose, you organize all of your assets, your your inner pharmacy, you organize your intellect, you organize your intuition, you organize your other resources in a way that really creates uh, life-giving, healthy abilities and results. So purpose is important because purpose is, you know, a, a goal is the lighthouse of the human spirit. Otherwise, and there are, of course, moments that it's important just to be. I don't personally know how to do that. I'm practicing. But there are moments where it is important to just to just be and enjoy your senses just as a physical being. But in terms of creating a life of longevity, of engaging your intuition, it is important to say, why am I doing this? Does it have meaning to me? And does the meaning have meaning? You know, a lot of people chase after things that they were taught to chase after, but actually those things aren't satisfying, don't have meaning. And you often see, um, you know, rampant uh, physical and mental illness until people find purpose. But studies have shown that purpose increases longevity. Laura, from all the work you have done with so many people, how do we best create the life of our dreams? My experience is that the very first thing that's important to do is to notice what gives you pleasure. Uh, Because Often our goals and so what we spend our money, our time, our efforts on are actually things we think we should do or think we should have, but they don't actually give us pleasure. And pleasure and pain are two very reliable indicators most of the time. 
So notice what you enjoy. I enjoy writing. I enjoy hopping into other people. Um, I enjoy making friends. Um, I enjoy collaboration. And so that's what I do in my life. And you do not want to see me on an enforced vacation because I don't enjoy sailing. I don't particularly enjoy eating three meals in restaurants. I don't enjoy hotel rooms. So know what you notice, not know. Know is in your head. Notice what do you enjoy. And then notice what, where is your pain and what's your pain hungry for? So that hunger is a target. You know, uh, pain is uh, often a place we live. It's not supposed to be. Pain is a really great thing to have. It gives you information. So what is your goal? And your goal comes from your hunger. So, And often we have these scattered goals. I want this and I want that and I want this and I want that. Right now, what could happen that would make everything feel the way it needs to feel for you. That's your goal. And it's important that it's not a have to goal. Um, and, you know, some people's goals, they don't have to be world peace. Sometimes your goal is getting a great car. And that goal is a metaphor for something else. And you don't even realize it until you've created that great car in your life. So pick a goal and let that goal be the door that opens all the other doors. You need to have a front runner in a race. And that front runner is what is your deepest hunger? Mm. It doesn't mean you don't care about everything else, but it is an organizing factor for all your other resources. And it also helps you contextualize difficulty because difficulty is a part of being a material being in a material world. And it, when, you know, when I, um, or, you know, what I teach my students is when you encounter a difficulty, you don't have to be Pollyanna-ish. You don't have to say, oh, this difficulty is a blessing. Nah, sometimes a difficulty does not feel much like a blessing. But you do have to say, okay, how do I use this difficulty to bring me closer to the, my goal? Is there something that it's changing in me, around me? Is it encouraging me to get different resources to not make the same mistake again. So you fold everything in to a positive batter. Not, not you know, um, optimists actually are not as happy as pessimists and nor are they as successful because really what we call pessimism is realism. Life is a mixed bag, but it is your job as a human being to use every element to create what you want. So that is very helpful. Also, even if you're an introvert, I'm not saying you have to be like my husband and be the last person to leave every party. <laughs> it has made my heel height go from five inches to two and a half really quickly. But, um, but, but contact. So we live in an interconnected world and sciences are showing everything from biology to astronomy, physics, mathematics, everything is showing we, we, in a sense, are one energy. We live in an interconnected world. So how do you position yourself? And this should be something that every moment you're working with, and once again, not as a thought, as an experience, how do you position yourself in a way that that connection supports you and that that connection acknowledges you 
by allowing you to give what you want to give to the world around you. I don't want to give my housekeeping skills, you know, not that I can't, I really can't. It's a bad example, but you know, what, what do you need and what do you want to give? And I teach a process called the circle. And that's a very important element. People are most secretive about what they need and what they have to offer. Whereas we should be screaming that from the rooftops. You know, this is what I need. Lots of people say, oh, wow, look, that person needs that. Oh, but there will be those people who say, wow, I have that. Please, can I share that with you? It's interesting. During COVID, I was in London. My husband was running a TV show in London. And, um, and COVID hit and people were, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. And I'm like, no, it's just another crisis. So let's take a chill pill for a second. We are a community of, at the time, I forget, 15,000 people. We are a community of 15,000 people. Tell us what you need. Tell us your zip code. We had, I sent out an email. My husband said, don't do this. You're going to be so heartbroken. But I sent out an email and I said, you know what? I have extra money. So whatever you need, if I can provide it, just let me know. Send me your mm. Amazon. And, um, and my husband said, you're going to be overwhelmed and you're, you're going to feel awful because, you know, there was a budget for this. I mean, you know, I'm not activist. And I was overwhelmed. He was right, but in the wrong way. I got so many people who misunderstood my email and said, oh, I want to contribute $5,000. Oh, I, mm. uh, I live in the greater uh, metro area in blah, blah, blah. And I have a car and I'm a first responder, so I can drop off food or supplies. Oh, um, I blah, 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 blah. I mean, the offers of help in our community, we had people, there was one woman who left her abusive relationship in the middle of COVID with only her yoga pants. Our community got her a whole new wardrobe, you know, like found her. It was amazing. It was the outpouring of people who needed and people who were willing to help coming together. And then the same people who needed helping in other ways. Oh, I'm an unemployed accountant and you're having trouble navigating the food stamp program. Oh, I'd love to help you do that. But that same person who, because they're unemployed, you know, a minute before needed a few thousand dollars to make their rent. It was such a great demonstration of community. So have a community. And by the way, the, one of the elements of the circle is contact and unity. Contact is hard. There's always going to be rub. You know, we're not talking about fairies and angels here. We're talking about humans. But part of the wonderful synchronistic thing about rub is it helps you figure out what to avoid, how to present yourself effectively, what to hold back, you know. And when you do that, you can have real unity. I've heard you talk before, Laura, about empaths and how sometimes that might not be the best thing. Why is that? Well, I, I you know, of course, people self-select with intuition and a lot of them initially say, oh, I'm an empath. And I'm like, well, then you need to see a therapist. Because <laughs> you should be feeling your own feelings. You should be in your own experience. And certainly you can use your knowledge, your intuition, your connection, your humanity 
to have compassion for another. But when you start feeling other people's feelings and not being able to disconnect, A, you're probably using it to avoid your own feelings. B, you have a boundary issue, which is probably very damaging in other areas of your life. And C, you're not giving yourself the kind of care and respect you need to manage your own unmanageable experience. I mean, life is a big, big, big job. So when people describe themselves as empaths, usually what they're saying is, I cross my own boundaries way too often. I do things that are not in my best interest in the service of others. And that, that is something that really is not a healthy thing. Um, and I think that people confuse, um, like being a good person, being kind, doesn't mean being selfless. If you're yeah. selfless, you actually can't be kind. You're kind when you make those choices in self to make a sacrifice that's not damaging, but that you have to negotiate to give to another. That's kind. So I I think these words are misused. And I think we often teach people, and often we teach women who really don't need to learn this lesson, that being masochists being without boundaries, being given to the, giving to their own detriment is a good thing. Mm. It's not. Your job is to put your own oxygen mask on first. Laura, are there any practices you use daily to keep yourself centered? I will tell you what makes my life function. Yes. Um, I... I have a wonderful husband who is very um, grounded, you know, someone who eats three meals a day. Um, I forget to eat unless I'm cooking for somebody else. Um, I go on live every morning and I share my intuition. So I get out of the mess of myself to be able to kind of leave myself in the chair and use my senses to help someone else. And then when I come back to me, I'm there with some perspective. Um, I join in healing. So we do remote healing every morning, which, which helps. I mean, healing really is using attention to change matter. Um, So I do that. Um, I, I, practice mindfulness, which really is just remembering to be in myself. Um, And I try to remember to eat. And those are really my, those are really my, uh, my practices. I also often ask myself the question, am I being authentic? Mm. Because, you know, we often all get into a spiel and I do this too, you know, you get pulled by someone else or something else or someone you think you should be or, and, and there's that feeling and we all have it, that sense that we get when we're not actually representing ourselves authentically. And sometimes we can't, there are situations where you have really got to fake it. Some situations where it's not smart to be authentic, but when you lose your own sense of authenticity, then you begin um, a a journey to a a kind of dangerous place because then your actions aren't attached Mm. to your real being and your real goals. 
So I ask myself often, is this authentic for me? And I also often ask myself, am I being reactive or am I being interactive or proactive? Mm. Often the response is, yeah, you're being reactive and you really do want to do this. You want to have this fight. You know it's damaging, but you want to do it anyway. And I really try to practice the skills and welcome to your crisis. My crisis type is anxiety and distract myself at those times where, you know, I'm loaded for bear and shouldn't be. Laura, what's the best advice that you've ever been given? That's so funny. Someone asked me this today and I gave them the same answer I'm going to give you. Uh, There's a writer named Ram Das who is now blessed memory. And, um, and there was a line I read when I was in my early twenties in one of his books. And I don't really read kind of philosophy or self-help. I mostly read science. So it was a fluke that I even had this book. It was called Grist for the Mill. And it was the pain of birth is the pain of death. And the pain of death is the pain of birth. And he said it again. He's described a moth that keeps on going to the flame and it's hot and the moth withdraws and then goes to the flame again. And then the moth finally touches the flame and realizes the fire cannot burn them because they are the fire. And this was obviously a very uh, moment that influenced me. And also the expression that Ramdas also points out, but that they use in India of namaste, which for me, really helped me be less reactive, which is the light in me connects with, salutes the light in you. And, you know, I'm as bitchy and reactive as anyone else, you know, and I constantly remind myself, am I connecting with this event, with this thought, with this piece of food, with this person through my light or through my warped pathology? And am I allowing myself to be illuminated by their light? Because if not, I'm turning down nourishment that I can use. Laura, what's the lesson that has taken you the longest to learn? Not everybody can be saved. Mm. And it is not my job to save everybody. I'm the daughter of a suicide. I was madly in love with my mother and she committed suicide two days after my 14th birthday. I have a brother and a sister who've also committed suicide. And I, you know, I am the kind of person who, when I see a street person, I don't want to give them money. I want to take them home. I want to offer my shower. I want to get them new clothes. And it is really, um, you know, of course, my effort to save is my effort to save myself um, as everything we are and do is about us. But I've realized that there are some things, not my circus, not my monkeys, that's really been something that I've had to learn. And although I do feel that because of what I do and because of the good fortune that I have built in my life, I, I feel the obligation and the desire to share. I also ha- now know that I have an obligation to keep myself safe first, keep my loved ones safe second, the rest of my family third, 
my friends and community for the rest of the world, you know, that, that it's their concentric circles. And that's been really hard for me to learn because it makes me feel powerless. It makes me feel hopeless sometimes when I encounter a situation and I want to get involved so badly. I want to prove in a sense, my power, perhaps uh, negatively, my worth positively, um, my belief that we live in a good universe, which is a belief, and I'm not sure that's always um, a fact. Um, and I need to walk away. And that's so hard for me to walk away. How do you pick up the pieces when so many of your loved ones committed suicide? I, I you know, not without difficulty, not without tears. But I really pull myself back to this is what I, I can do mm. in this moment. Um, this is what, you know, and part of the problem for me is I often see what's going to happen and I try everything I know to stop it, but we're not in control of everything. Um, you know, I really work very hard and it really is hard work. Um, as it is for everybody. I work very hard on saying I have three beautiful homes. I have a son who's amazing and amazing to me. I have a husband who is so delicious that sometimes I just want to take a bite out of him. I have all the money I need. I have work I enjoy. I have friends who, when I need them to, will wash my hair, make me a martini, and not care that I'm speaking nonsense. Like, I, I, there's so much I have and I cannot focus on what I don't have. Yeah. If I really miss something, I create it. Like I will say that after the death of my brother and my sister, my friendships have become even closer and more treasured because I have needed sisters. I have needed brothers. Um, you know, I, I, my experience, and I say this as an elder, um, and also as a teacher, but my experience is that everything we need exists and it's our job to find it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it doesn't exist in exactly the package we ordered, but it exists and it is part of our growth to grow into the person that can create it, find it, enjoy it, treasure it. And loss is wonderful. Loss means you cared about something enough. You value, you have the capacity to value something enough to mourn the fact that mm. it is no longer there. And it opens up the capacity to, to have that again. Laura, what's your favorite prayer? Actually, as a good Jewish girl, this Irish prayer um, is uh, hopefully my brother-in-law is not listening. But I love the, the longtime sun. May the longtime sun shine upon you, all love surround you, and the pure light within you guide your way on. Ugh, gives me shivers. And that is, is my favorite prayer for others. And the prayer... You know, um, there was a very interesting experiment done on healers a long time ago, and they measured professional healers 
they measured them when they were healing a target, so a, a client. They measured the client to see if the clients, if their respiration improved, if their fighter cells improved, they took blood, they took urine, they took saliva. And they found that actually remote healers did have an impact on their target. Mm-hmm. And these were remote targets that they'd never met. You know, they just knew they were working on a target. The interesting thing they did not expect, and that's always the fun thing about, about uh, experiments, was that the person doing the healing healed even mm. more than the target. And so, of course, I think that it is the prayer that we have for others that we actually have for ourselves. What's the most mystical experience that you have ever had? I'm going to tell you this experience because you're in Australia and hopefully nobody else will hear it. So in my everyday life, I experience things that most people consider mystical, um, but in not mystical ways. I have a, a friend who's a medium and her father died and, and I actually didn't know her at the time. We shared a book agent and I said, oh, you know, your father's talking to me and he's saying he's really glad he died because he had dental work all next week. And she looked in his calendar and he had dental work all the next week. So, you know, those experiences, I don't consider mystical. They're part of my daily life. I had one mystical experience and I call it mystical because it had nothing to do with any belief system I have. And I actually am almost embarrassed to mention it, although I felt really blessed to have it. When I was 25 years old, I lived between New York and Italy and my birthday which, by the way, my, I share with my son, but I didn't have a son back then. My birthday is my favorite day. And I expect everyone to worship me on my birthday, <laughs> March 22nd, for those of you who may not know. <laughs> and, um, I had flown in from Italy the night of the 21st. And I, nobody was home. And my then ex-husband was in Tibet. And nobody, I hadn't informed anyone I was home. I don't know how I thought people were going to find me. But the next day was my birthday and I woke up and there were no flowers, no gifts, no phone calls. I felt utterly bereft. And I lay in my bed just crying and crying and crying, like that kind of crying that I don't think I even do anymore where your eyes are flooded with tears. And I feel a hand on my arm. And I thought, oh, my God. And at that, you know, I'm a 25-year-old, so everyone has keys to my flat. I open my eyes. I, I think, oh, my goodness, someone remembered. And I open my eyes, so delighted. And there is my mother, who had died 11 years prior, sitting on my bed with her warm hand on my hand. Wow. I mean, on my arm. Her warm hand. And I look at her, and she's wearing her favorite yellow nightie that has this Edelweiss embroidered. And I'm crying, and I'm... And I'm kind of sitting there like uh, stunned, lying there. I was lying down stunned. And then I blink and she's gone. And I go back to my Obuhu. Oh, my God, I finally have this experience of my own mother because I'd seen a lot of other DPs, I call them, dead people, but never my mother, um, for which she later gave me an explanation. And I had so many questions, I didn't get to answer any. So I start crying again. And I open my eyes, my eyes clear, and on top of my bed, there's a literal angel, wings and everything. And this is not part of my belief system and actually nothing I usually talk about. 
And the angel says to me, I'm the angel Gabriel. And I am here to tell you that we're not helping you anymore. You have been given everything you need. We have paved the way. And these weren't the exact words. And it was telepathic. I didn't, it wasn't completely auditory, but somewhat auditory. I, we've, we've given you what you need. Now use it. And I think, wow, I start crying again. I get an angel and this is the message, not you are blessed, my child, and we are here to guide you. Your angel is, we're abandoning you. You have what you need. Now use it. And so I, I am a skeptic. So basically what I did is threw the whole experience out. And later that day, my friends came and flowers came and people showed up and completely threw that experience out. Ten years later, I'm in Italy, in my apartment in Italy. And someone for my birthday gives me this book. And in Italy, every day, has a, has a saint or angel attached to it. It's called a nomastico. And I'm gives me one of these books, and I'm not mystical. So this is like another book that's going to go on the bottom of my closet along with the tarot books and the angel messages and the blah, blah, blah like another one that's going in my gift closet <laughs> to read it. But I leaf through it. And I look at my birthday and I forget what the one for my birthday was. And I look at March 24th, two days after my birthday, the day my mother committed suicide. And the nomastico from March 24th is the angel Gabriel. Wow. And all of a sudden I thought, maybe I did have that experience. And then in that moment, I realized that my mother because I was seeing every other dead person. And once again, who knows if it's energy that's left behind or a real dead person. You don't want to get into my scientist with this. But I had never seen my mother in those 11 years since her death and my being 25. And I finally realized at 35, it came to me so clearly that if I had seen her, I would have wanted to join her. Oh. And that... that I, I could not see her until I had done my mourning and until someone, my son, born on my birthday when I was 33 years old, wow. someone existed that I loved enough that I would never leave this planet. Oh, I'm going to cry now. Oh, my God. That is, that is the most beautiful story. But I think you your understanding of it after it had happened is just it's just exquisite it's so profound i i really learned the you know it really also helped me in my work because you know i i um i realized it's not helpful to people most of the time to help them communicate with an energy that's not physical in their life because yeah. mourning is a gift you need to mourn you need to move on and to continue the relationship of love that was in an effective way in your present life and that's really hard to do for many people I know it was very hard to do for me I think if I had seen my mother at 30 I probably would have taken my own life just to join her yeah whereas at 35, I had a two-year-old 
who I loved and love more than life itself. And there's no way, boy, my mother fell to the bottom of the barrel the minute <laughs> I was born. What is a life of greatness to you? Oh, wow. That, for me, a life of greatness is being an effective part of a family. Uh, that's all I've ever wanted, a family. Um, and I extend that to a community. My students will tell you I'm, I'm, I'm annoying. I'll pick up the phone for a student who's taken a one-day workshop and say, you know, uh, I know you're thinking of taking this trip, but here's why I think it's about it. And they're like, who are you? Um, I, I, I extend now, especially since most of my family are dead, I extend that concept of family um, to, you know, community colleagues, but to be a part of a functioning world, to be a good part of a functioning world while getting your own needs met, that's a life of greatness. And I think that we often forget, you know, it's funny, there was a garbage strike in Naples and people all of a sudden realized that our trash collectors are the difference between us and rats, and vermin, and sickness. You know, I think every life uh, is potentially a life of greatness. And often, the big famous people, the gurus, the stars, the those aren't necessarily lives of greatness, although they can be. And the people, the person you see who lives on the street who may at night give comfort to everyone else on the street, that may be the greatest person you meet that day and you don't even know it. So I always uh, say to my students, the person sitting next to you may be your guru. Mm. Do not discount anyone. Everybody, you know, not everybody is the right person for you to connect with. But that those people are there. And it's just like soulmates. You know, you have thousands of soulmates. What makes a soulmate? You find someone who fits out of the so many potential people. And then you say, you are my person and I am your person. You make that commitment. Laura Day, thank you for all of the wonderful work that you do. It has changed the lives of so many. So thank you. Well, thank you for the wonderful work you do. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.